Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not we should affirm trans identities and we are starting right now with Sean's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Sean. The floor is all yours. All right, so I'll just uh, go into it. Um, So the way I view this partly is just from the perspective of a more general question about which desires we should and should not pursue. Uh, You could characterize people who have gender dysphoria or transgendered people as people who have a certain desire to, in some sense, manifest a gender identity that is disconcordant with you know, the one they were assigned at birth based on their sex. And we need a general criteria for deciding which desires we should and should not pursue. Uh, I think we also need, and it's a related criteria, about which behaviors we should and should not socially stigmatize. Uh, there are a lot of values you could base that criteria on, but I think sort of the most universal one to base it on is the reduction of human suffering and the promotion of well-being and the like, uh, because it's just so universally held as a value. And it's tricky to look at the transgender issue because obviously we don't have sort of the gold standard of scientific evidence with respect to transgenderism. You can't randomly assign someone uh, to do almost anything relevant to the the trans question. You can't randomly assign them to have a gender reassignment type surgery. Obviously, you can't randomly assign people to have gender dysphoria in the first place and the like. Um, But nonetheless, the data, to me anyway, looks pretty consistent with a picture of saying that leaning into the desire is probably not a good thing. Uh, That if you, and I say this because, for instance, you look at the rate of suicide attempts and they tend to be higher among those trans people who have socially transitioned, who have medically transitioned and the like. Um, and so you might, on that basis, think that it's not a good thing for them to lean into, like I said. And that's probably the most important thing to say. There are other things to say as well, because you might say, okay, even if it is a bad decision for them, why is that any of our business? Uh, why should we particularly care? We're not just talking about whether or not individuals should lean into that desire or try to find some way out of it. We're also 
more fundamentally talking about whether or not we should affirm their identities and their choices. And I think there are a few things to say about that. I mean, in the first place, obviously, if you care about their well-being, then you want to discourage choices that are contrary to their well-being. Uh, but then in the second place, there's the issue of whether or not the societal affirming of transgender identities has caused an increase in the number of people who are experiencing gender dysphoria or who identify as transgender. And once again, the scientific evidence here is not very rigorous, uh, but the data certainly is not inconsistent with the view that that is occurring. And if that's occurring, and that's a condition which massively increases, say, the rate of suicide attempt among people, then that's, I think, quite a good reason to not affirm them. And then the, the final thing to say, the final sort of point I'll make in this opening is that because the desire the transgender people have isn't just about themselves, it's also about other people. Uh, and what I mean by that, right, is that, it, so for me to be a woman in the sense that transgender people want to be a woman involves other people interacting with me in certain ways as if they also consider me to be in some respect interchangeable with women generally. And that causes, uh, in certain contexts especially, there are certain contexts for which this is not particularly true, certain contexts where uh, we're kind of talking about something very small like the use of pronouns, but when we talk about something like um, the legitimacy of two people having a serious physical altercation with each other or mate selection or something like that, those are the sorts of contexts where cisgendered people I think by and large would feel a significant degree of psychological discomfort in trying to treat trans people the way that many of them would want to be treated. And so that's yet another reason to, well, to not lean in and to not promote those sorts of identities. Uh, so those are sort of the basic three things I tend to think about when I think about this question. Uh, that wasn't like a pre-planned opening statement, so that seemed kind of ranty and off the top. That's because it literally was. Uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully that's enough to get us started or something. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening statement. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And with that, we are going to kick it over to Xander Hall. Thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. Hell yeah, thank you. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I wrote down some of the main points that you talked about there, just so we could kind of, I could go after them individually as the, all on their own. Um, so yeah, the, the first thing that you brought up was that we need a criteria for desires we should and should not pursue and what we should and should not stigmatize based on broadly, I think you said the reduction of human suffering. Um, and, and to talk about that, uh, we do have a criteria, I would argue, for what desires we should or should not pursue, what we think is okay, and um, what we think isn't okay. We already have these standards. I'd say generally as a society, at least here in America, we have a pretty shared system of morality, even if there are a few differences there. I think we mostly all hold the same general values. Um, and I think one of those values is generally that as long as you're not hurting anybody, you should be allowed to do whatever you want, as long as it's not really affecting others in a seriously impactful way that could actually harm them. And um, it shouldn't really be an issue. But I don't even want to take that route when it comes to defending the trans situation. I don't think that this is the right way to even go about arguing against it, um, especially because you then went on to bring up the suicide attempts are higher among those who have transitioned. And this just isn't true. This just categorically is un completely untrue. If you want me to cite you any studies that you could take a look at and, and read over in order to affirm that, I can absolutely link them. 
Um, but I mean, the NHS and the, um, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the other one, but I know that the NHS specifically um, has already uh, classified gender dysphoria and the treatment for it as being transitioning, as being allowed and to pursue the tra transition that you, you want to, right? Um, that was the outcome of these studies. Um, and then you also brought up rapid onset gender dysphoria, which I'm not sure if you've heard that exact phrase, but basically um, to summarize it, rapid onset gender dysphoria is the idea that like young people being around people who claim to be trans will make them want to mimic being trans in order to like get anything from attention or to feel special or to any variety of reasons people present. Um, the study that I imagine you are referencing when talking about rapid onset gender dysphoria is one that I have seen many, 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 many times in the past. A lot of people have brought it up, so I don't know if you've become aware of it. I know you haven't brought it up specifically, but I mean, a lot of people with your position have, so I'll acknowledge it. Um, the study that uh, you're referencing that argues that more people are becoming uh, trans in, in order to sort of like blend in or whatever, the rapid onset gender dysphoria thing. I believe this is a study by, um, it, it, like I have the link here. Basically um, the argument is that young people are identifying as trans at a higher rate when they are around other trans, like other people who claim to be trans or young people of their age that claim to be trans. And this I believe was actually like, uh, uh, like seriously debunked by the broader scientific community, particularly because it was just a study of parents. It was like an online poll on an already extremely biased like turf website for parents, not the children. So I don't know if like we can suggest this massive uh, problem of children developing gender dysphoria because of some placebo is real because of a parent poll online. Like I don't, I don't trust that. And, um, and then finally, the last thing that you brought up was uh, that trans people's desires uh, to interact with, uh, sorry, trans people desire others to interact with them in a certain way. Um, so yeah, basically, um, yeah, if you're trans and you want to see your identity validated and you want people to recognize you that way, then you're going to expect others to do that. Now, does that mean that like they're that a, a trans person is the right to like beat someone to death because they refuse to use the right pronouns? No, but generally I think we have certain standards of politeness in our society in which as long as it's not going to literally kill you, uh, we agree that being polite to others and referring to them how they prefer is how we do it, right? Like we do this with names. If someone's got a nickname that isn't the name they were given when they were born, that's not on their birth certificate, usually if we know it, we use it because it's it's polite. Gender is on a whole nother level than that. Gender is way more, way more important to people in their names. I think this is more of an argument in favor of uh, just kind of being impolite than an argument against an ideology or of a political thing. But yeah, that, that's my response to your points. You got it. With that, we are going to jump into open conversation and a couple of things. First, folks, want to let you know our guests are linked in the description. We really do appreciate our guests. Want to encourage you to, as always, attack the argument instead of the person. And with that, want to remind you as well, we are very excited. If you have not heard, folks, this is a big one. If you haven't heard, we're very excited that coming up, in January, we're going to, for the first time, have our first ever modern day debate conference called DebateCon. That's going to be in person in Dallas, Texas. So stay tuned for more words on that and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, as we're going to have many more juicy debates, both at that conference and remotely as usual. So thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours for that open dialogue. Glad you're here.
Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so obviously in my opening, I sort of said a bunch of stuff, and then you responded in a list-like fashion to a bunch of those things. What we should probably do, right, is sort of do the first one first, then move to the second, just move down the list progressively yeah, sure. through the conversations, what seems like to me would make the most sense. Um, so the first thing that you responded to had to do with criterias for desires, and you would say something like, that as long as what someone's doing isn't hurting anyone else, we should be okay with them doing it. Is that roughly? Um, no, uh, broadly, I think that as long as um, if, if people have a preference for how they want to be treated or how they want to be referred to or how they want to live their lives, I think as long as they're not really hurting themselves or others, then I don't think that um, this is a, something that should have a moral panic started about it. Okay, gotcha. Maybe I, I thought you would not said themselves before uh, maybe i just misheard it that's fine okay yeah, so i, I don't think misspoken. we actually I, I might have misspoken but yeah so we probably don't actually disagree with that on that point okay. um so talking about the the suicide rate of people who have transitioned um in various ways medically or socially um yeah i don't know if we want to like throw studies at each other i mean there have been a, a fair number of studies and it's a fairly consistent finding in the literature that transitioning both socially and medically uh, leads leads to is not the right word, but predicts a higher level of suicidal attempt and ideation. Mm -hmm. Do you know why that is? Do I know? Well, firstly, before it seemed to me like you were saying that's not true. You, so you do agree that that is true. Well, no, it, it's true that objectively speaking, the data suggests that trans people are more likely to engage in self-harm, have suicidal ideation, or commit or attempt or commit well, suicide. But that's not because they're trans. It well, it's, has to do with other factors, and I can we can talk about that. Right, but so the point I'm making isn't just that trans people have elevated suicide attempts rate. It's that among trans people, those who have uh, had various sorts of surgeries or those who have socially transitioned, so that the people in their lives, you know, know on visual contact that they are transgender, that these trans people have higher suicide attempt rates than do trans people who have not done this. And that a plausible interpretation of that would be that, you know, furthering, leaning into pursuing these desires seems to predict an even worse mental outcome than not pursuing. You're, uh, you're talking about the PubMed uh, study, right? The one by PubMed? I mean, there are lots of, um, there are lots of studies on PubMed, but this is also, I'm not referring to, a, I mean. Well, well on, on PubMed, there's a particular study, and I think it's the one that you're referring to. Um, I, I've come and I've seen it before. It's uh, it's for anybody who wants to know, like, what the argument uh, made by the study and, and what the deal is. Basically, it's a long-term follow-up of transsexual persons undergoing sex reassignment surgery, and it's a cohort study in Sweden. Uh, the reason why I bring this study in particular up is because it's the one that I've seen the overwhelming majority of the times from people who've made this argument. And my main issue with it is I believe the author of the study themselves, they're they're Swedish, so uh, the, people's, the people who made it are, it's a Swedish study, so obviously language barrier was an issue for a while, but um, I believe they've come out and they've clarified that um, the control group for the post-transition trans individuals to be compared to were cisgendered people. It wasn't trans people being compared, people who have transitioned that are trans being compared to trans people who haven't transitioned. It was trans people who have transitioned compared to non-trans people, which I'd be willing to bet the overwhelming majority of the time, trans people are going to have a higher suicide rate than cis people, as long as trans people are treated the, the way that they are in society broadly. 
Right. So, okay. So I know the, the study you're talking about, that is definitely not the research I was having. It might exactly because of what you just said, that what I was talking about was research that compares trans people who have transitioned to trans people who have not, uh, whereas what you're talking about is a, a famous study out of Sweden that compared trans people who had transitioned to just a match, in some respect, matched group of, of cisgender people, which I agree is not uh, very informative for this question. Oh, well, then um, in that case, if you've got a, another study that makes this, like, uh, that posits this, that you want to send to me, like, we don't even have to go over it on stream. I'm just genuinely curious to see if you've got, like, another study that 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 claims this, because I'll look it over and I'll, I'll, I'll give it a look over. Absolutely. Yeah, so it, this is a little dated, but back in 2019, I tried to, to figure this out. I have a, a table that I think has, like, nine effect sizes for medical transitioning and six for social transitioning. Um, so it's definitely not based on a single study. Um, and that is my, obviously I cannot send, I mean, I could send you, but you cannot read 15 studies. Oh well, yeah, a, a it's debate, not exactly so. practical as you on stream, but legitimately though, I, I'd actually like if you'd send it to me, like uh, for me to look at after the debate off stream, because I, if, if this study does claim what it claims that you're claiming, I want to see it. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so you are of the opinion that, okay, why do you think that trans people have a, sui a higher suicide rate than cis people? Or why do you think trans people right. who have transitioned have a higher suicide rate than trans people who haven't? Right, so I think there's a, it's, I mean, it's a combination of many different reasons. Um, so one of them and the one that probably, I would guess you would want to talk the most about stereotypically leftists want to talk the most about is victimization from social ostracism increasing and physical ostracism for that matter physical violence uh increasing their suicide attempt rate and i think that plays a role in it but it's a fairly minor role that the majority of it cannot be explained by victimization from the sorts of discrimination often cited i mean i could talk more but i think that's probably a good place to stop and get your reaction to it um, yeah, um, I mean, there's like a collection of studies that I could bring up that have to do with like LGBT people, especially LGBT youth in particular. This is where it's like a particularly large problem because uh, LGBT youth or youth in general, children are more reliant on those in their lives. They can't really just operate without any safety net or any other people in their lives to give them a boost. They're fucking children. Um, but uh, I believe it's something like nearly 70% of LGBT youth um, or almost 80% if they're in the closet, but uh, nearly 70% of LGBTQ youth have said that their parents are completely open with like homophobic or anti-LGBT um, rhetoric around them. And uh, I believe there was also a study that, that claimed that like only if, I believe it's um, for trans people and their suicide rate, I believe there's this, it's a massive, massive, massive drop in uh, suicidality with just a trans person's uh, family approval, not even like friends in the broader society, just with family uh, approval. I believe the suicide uh, rate of trans people on average just drops massively. I can uh, do a quick search to see if I can tell you exactly the number, but um, it, I remember reading it and being like, wow, that's a big number. Yes, I guess I would, there are a few things to say. Um, so in the first place, the way that I've looked about at this before is to look at, um, well, so the, the first question we would want to ask is how big of an effect on suicide does these kinds of victimizations, how big of an effect is it that it has on these? 
And most of the literature I've seen suggests that being the victim of various kinds of discrimination, there are lots of different sort of subtypes of discrimination, different studies on all of them, but that while it does predict a higher rate of suicide, might say suffering, experiencing it quite a lot might double or even triple your rate of suicide attempt, that just on its face, this cannot explain something like trans people having something like nine times the suicide rate of cisgender people. Now, another thing I want to bring up, though, is that it's very hard to interpret most research on how bullying and discrimination from parents, from peers, from wait, do, do you workplace, mind, from police. Wait, I, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to like interrupt while you're mid uh, like saying something, but is it okay if I respond to a point you just made? Uh, yeah, sure. So I don't, I'm not arguing that it's specifically victimization or active um, hatred for LGBT people or trans people broadly that um, causes this rise in a suicide rate. I think it has to do with a lack of support, at least when it comes to most, and I know this isn't something that can actually be tracked through data. It's impossible to track this sentiment through data. You have to go off of anecdotes about this, but I feel like it's fairly safe to do so here. Um, at least most trans people that I've talked to where they just get like, I've had these calls with people that'll go on to like 2am and just getting really deep talking with people about how they feel. And I'll just do this in private when I'm hanging out with people and I'm, I'm not streaming. And I've talked to quite a few trans people about this. And a big part of it just has to do with a lack of support. Most people who are, who are trans or most people broadly don't really know that much about trans people. So when they start experiencing gender uh, dysphoria and whatnot, they don't really understand what it is right away. At least most people who experience it don't, especially if they're young. And so that lack of support, that lack of, of, of knowledge and that support base to help them understand what they're feeling, um, that I think that probably plays a much larger part into it than um, most people would account for. And then, of course, there's the obvious. There's the um, the fact that, like, I think it's nearly 50 or 40 percent of homeless youth are LGBT of some kind due to the, the epidemic of, obviously, parents disowning their LGBT children. Um, I don't know. I think it's trends like this that tend to lend more to LGBT people broadly, not just trans people, having higher suicide rates than non-LGBT people than some other innate thing we could point to because I haven't seen any evidence that there's another innate thing that causes their suicide rate and their suicidal ideation then they're getting a lot of shit broadly as a demographic all the time. Sure so yeah it's definitely true that uh, outright bullying and a lack of social support these are not the same thing but there's a, a lot of research specifically on um, the relationship between social support uh, whether that's defined as support from friends from families specifically from parents etc the effect that that kind of support has on the suicide rate of uh, trans people. Um, again, I mean, you can't, uh, I can't send this to you to read this live, but I, I would, would say just that um, when I looked at it across 22 effect sizes, 78% weren't even statistically significant and the vast majority of them per, uh, gave very weak effect sizes. So that, again, and that's not to say necessarily that it has no effect, but if we're looking at something that normally isn't even statistically significant, and when it is normally has a weak effect size, that cannot make more than a small contribution to a group that has something like nine, a nine-fold increase in suicide attempt rate. Wait, do you mind, wait, do you mind if I ask, um, uh, you don't have to send me like a link or anything, I'm just curious if you could reiterate it. Um, you mentioned a study a second ago that suggested that, um, uh, 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 what was it that you just said again a, a second ago? Just, just repeat that about social support or about the bullying? Um, yeah, social support. Oh, that studies that ask the question, um, 
does so social support, whether that's again defined as peer support or family support, uh, among a sample of in a sample of just trans people, is it true that those trans people who say that they have you know good family support, good social support, et cetera, have lower suicide attempt rates? Looking at that mm -hmm. association, that most of these studies produce effects that aren't statistically significant, and the effect sizes they're reporting generally are very small. Okay, so if that's the case, then why do you think that LGBT people have a higher suicide rate than non-LGBT people? Well, like I was saying, it's a combination of different things. So I do think that in the first place, social support, not as much, but there's a certain kind of bullying, which certainly does contribute to it, I think, no doubt, uh, just that that doesn't explain the majority of it. Another thing to mention is that a lot of people who have gender dysphoria had pre-existing psychological conditions before they had gender dysphoria, uh, like depression and anxiety are very common ones. Those mm -hmm. obviously contribute to an elevated suicide rate. Um, but fundamentally, I think we have a large unexplained gap in the suicide rate that we don't exactly know the cause of. I can share my intuitive speculation about it, but I'm not sure. I mean, that's what it is, I should say from the outset. This is just a speculation of mine about it. And I've never had any kind of gender dysphoria, so I'm not in the best place to speculate about it. But if I had to speculate, I would imagine it might have to do with them not being able to, because the desire they're trying to satisfy, I think anyway, based on just talking to people and whatnot, to fully satisfy it would be extremely difficult and require action on the part of them and many, many other people. And so for that reason, it seems like inherently a kind of desire that, especially the more you sort of get into it and think about it, uh, the more that's going to cause you to be unhappy. But, but again, that, like, that, that is very much speculation on my part. The empirical nature of the data, I think, is just that there's an unexplained gap in suicide rates. I don't think it's very well unexplained. I think that LGBT people are a group that are uh, extremely more likely to face bullying. And I think that bullying probably plays a lot larger of a part than I think you're willing to admit it does. Um, but I have no doubt in my mind, obviously you mentioned there uh, a lot of LGBT people already have pre-existing mental conditions that could be uh, a part of the problem there, or even the, the reason for the problem, right? Like depression, whatnot. Um, and, and I think I actually found... I, I may be wrong on this, but I, I swear I saw something like two months ago, maybe that um, I think like acknowledges that and a, a study that sort of like debunks like, oh, it's just pre-existing like mental conditions. Um, but the main response I'd have to that is that doesn't make any sense. How don't, don't you think that maybe if LGBT people are at, at such a more likely rate to commit suicide, that massive gap that you say is unexplained what else could possibly explain it? I know you said that we had speculation, but I'm really curious, what else could possibly explain that massive gap uh, of suicidality between LGBT and non-LGBT people? Is, like the, is the gay lifestyle like inherently something that's going to cause you to be unhappy? Is there anything like, what, what, do, you, what do you think it is? Okay, well, well firstly, I want to make a, a very clear distinction that I'm just talking about transgender people and not LGBT people. Um, the, 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 like the empirical data on, on homosexuality is a totally separate question uh, than the data and what it says about transgender people. There's some similarities in what the data says, but there's also some dissimilarities. And so I wouldn't want to talk about those as a unified group. Well, um, I mean, well, but, but here's the thing, though. Am I political positioned? Is it the same? 
But here's the thing, though, because when it comes to the whole trans topic, is there really not only two, uh, I guess technically three if you really want to stretch it, but realistically, like two uh, paths that we can really go down? Either it's trans people are in some way misled about their identity and the validity thereof. Like they're they're in the wrong. They may not mean to be in the wrong or whatever, but they're they're clearly just something's wrong with them. And we have to put them through some kind of therapy or something to make them get over it or or to get to a better place. This is what I assume you would advocate for. If not, then feel free to interrupt me and tell me what you think would be the best option. But when and that's usually the response that I hear, or to accept trans people and allow them to live their lives and respect them and everything. Um, but this doesn't sound that different to me than the arguments that homophobes back in the 90s and before would make um, about gay people. Like back when when it was like gay people were the big sort of moral panic that everybody was talking about. These arguments remind me a lot of the arguments that I heard back in those days or from back in those days. I wasn't around during those days. But um, what I heard, like the arguments I've heard from those days, it just, it sounds like blazing, like glaringly similar to me. Sure. Um... They might be similar at like the narrative level, right? But the interesting question is just what the data says in both cases. And if the data doesn't say the same thing in both cases, I mean, that's what I care about. And if that's dissimilar, then they're just not, I wouldn't treat them the same. Wait, so if the data- right? Like, like if, if you say it's sort of like, oh, well, well, actually I won't make that analogy because I could, uh, never mind. just go ahead and say what you were going to say. Well, if the, if the data suggested that being gay, like being gay made you more likely to be suicidal, like if the data just full on said, yep, Having sex with other men when you're a man makes you more likely to kill yourself. Would you advocate for uh, uh, could, like conversion therapy for gay people? Well, there are a few things. Um, if I definitely wouldn't encourage us to have any set of social norms that might increase either how gay people are and that's a kind of weird thing to get to talk about. And some people do view sexuality that way. Whatever, I'll just say that. Increase how gay people are or the number of gay people while that was true. Yeah, I think that would be a very irresponsible set of social norms to have. Uh, that, that's what you're asking. Interesting. Yeah, because it seems like the only option with the whole trans thing is like either we advocate for the acceptance of trans people or we advocate for the, I mean... Are you in favor of if you think somebody is doing something that's harmful to them, then the government should seek them out and try to prevent them from doing that thing? Like, do you believe if someone's suicidal, they should be bankrupted for a few days to determine whether or not they're like a danger to themselves or others? Uh, no, certainly not. Although I do think we're kind of moving now to a very different. I mean, I feel like we well because because the reason to the bullying question because that is just well, an empirical question. Sure, we could talk but, about this as well, but this feels like two different things to me. The reason why I bring it up is because it's very relevant. Um, the argument about whether or not you would advocate for uh, trans people to be put through essentially conversion therapy to make them not trans anymore, not want to be trans anymore. Um, it, it just like, that's the only other solution it seems, right? Like, or to advocate for one of these options, right? Either it's like trans people are valid and they ought to be let in society or trans people are hurting themselves by being trans or whatever like the, the, the argument would be. And um, I would assume most people who are in favor of some sort of government action on the part of preventing people from doing things that could be self-destructive or harmful to others, you would think the natural step then, if you believe that about trans people, would be maybe it is time to start rounding up trans people and, and sending them to be like sort of to go through conversion therapy, because that was a popular idea back when people believed essentially everything that, that I've heard 
transphobes argue about trans people say the exact same things about gay people back in the day. The same talking points from the um, they're a danger to our children and they're they're more likely mm-hmm. to be pedophiles sure. to the argument that they're suicidal and they're hurting themselves and this lifestyle is hurting them. You know, I just what worries me in particular is that there are so, so many lines of similarity between the trans acceptance movement and the gay acceptance movement, you know, as it's been for the last few decades. So, so, so similar. And the rhetoric on the opposite side, the opposing side of these movements sounds almost identical as well. Just replace a few words um, and, and you basically have it. Sure. I mean, that's, uh, again, like, yeah, there's narrative similarity and that's, Whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with if I, if I sound like you could also make similar arguments against gay people, that's not going to deeply bother me or something like that. that there's some uh, rhetorical similarity. Also, with respect to like, the state doing things, I mean, I'll just to be clear, my actual political position here is that uh, people who have sort of transgender uh, feelings should be encouraged to A, fight that desire that they have and B, try to live with the desire in a way that uh, minimizes it, but that's very much a social encouraging. And obviously uh, the government should not force them to do that or to not transition or something like that. Uh, just, just to be clear, because it, it, you, know, you were saying some, some weird things that might lead people to think I have a political position that I very much don't. Okay, I, I just, because I don't know how authoritarian you are with your politics. For all I know, you could just be like more libertarian with things and you're just making an argument about how people ought to behave socially, but you could also be making an argument, I mean, very easily if you were more authoritarian that this is the case and I think that the government should enact power in order to act on what I believe is true. And that's more so what what I was concerned about. I didn't know how authoritarian you are. But um, yeah, even if that doesn't apply to you, it applies to people that I've talked to before. So that's why I brought it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'll but let yeah. you take the lead of the convo and, and talk about, cause I, I don't have anything else to go from there. I'll let you go. Sure. So re- returning to the, the bullying thing, um, I, I, I guess I just want to, I mean, there are two things I guess to say about the bullying. Firstly, um, keep, keeping in mind, that this is empirically distinct from studies on social support that most of the effect you normally see uh, where you see the people who are bullied have elevated suicide rates just in the general population, that this Mm -hmm. is mostly due to a whole suite of confounding factors. And that if you uh, control for especially things having to do with uh, the within family environment and genes, that if you control for these things, that the effect size ends up being about 40% of what it's normally reported to be. Um, But that even without doing those, and there are no, to my knowledge, trans studies on trans people, that uh, take into account those sorts of confounding variables, but even not doing that, the effect sizes for bullying, again, are, I mean, they're real, but they're just not anywhere big enough. Uh, and it's not like an opinion, it's just the numbers are what they are, that they're not big enough to get you anywhere near the, the rate of a uh, suicide uh, attempt among trans people. And so I don't see how you're gonna get around calling that an unexplained gap. And, and to me, that looks like a decent reason to prefer, if there's a way out of it, to not go into some behavior. If you have, for reasons you aren't sure of, massively elevated suicide rates among people who do that. I mean, it just seems like the thing that makes the suicide rates massively de-elevate has to do particularly when it comes with like trans people has to do with the more accepted they are and the more they're allowed to transition, right? 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a study right now that suggests 80% of individuals reported significant improvement in their dysphoria after uh, sexual reassignment surgery. 78% of individuals reported significant improvement in their psychological sy symptoms, while 72% of individuals reported significant improvement in sexual function. Granted, this is a question of actual like patients receiving uh, treatment, but I mean, it, it uh, the, the only way you collect that kind of data on mental health is by asking those people questions, asking them, do you feel better? Do you feel like things are getting better? And and that's how you collect that data. I mean, like every time I see studies about this, I mean, like um, right here is a um, <clears throat> giant Cornell.edu uh, um, meta meta analysis, like a collection of like a, a, a super meta analysis, a collection of so many studies, they had to add meta twice. Um, that 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 affirms that 56 of the 56 studies that were looked at, 52 indicated transitioning has a positive effect on the mental health of transgender people, and four indicate it had mixed or no results, while zero studies indicated that trans people transitioning has negative results. And this is from Cornell EDU. Like these are not like I don't know if you would argue they're like corrupted institutions that that are pushing out bad data that's influenced by certain political ideologies, but I mean, it just seems like there's this overwhelming wave of evidence on the pro-trans side of things, and that overwhelming wave of evidence has also coincided with a broader societal acceptance of trans people as well. So it just, it seems really bizarre to me when people say, no, it's not bullying and lack of support that's causing LGBT people to have such high suicide rates. It's actually unaccounted for factors that we can't know. It's a gap that we can't really put a label on, even though these studies suggest it's bullying and lack of support. Okay, so I mean, there are a few things to say. Uh, firstly, a lot of the research, all the research that I've talked about so far has been based on suicide, suicidal ideation or preferably suicide attempts as the uh, dependent variable, the outcome. Um, and there's, there's a good reason for that, that because we can't do randomized control trials on things like transitioning, uh, I mean, there's a deep problem with going to someone who voluntarily chose to do a thing and asking them, hey, since you did that thing, do you feel happier? Uh, outside of the trans context, I mean, this is just something just in general uh, sort of behavioral psychology that people have a bias for saying, yeah, the thing I did was good once they did it. Um, and so for that reason, now, if it was the case that that's all the data we had, that would be one thing. But it's not. And so if you look at the data and you say, oh, well, that's interesting. These people who transition, they say that they have uh, are happier because of it uh, or since then. Um, but the people who have transitioned have higher rates of suicide attempts than those who have not. That to me, the most reasonable interpretation of that data uh, is that the self-reported uh, emotional states uh, lack a certain degree of validity. But the problem is the only study I've seen that suggests that trans people who've been able to transition have a higher suicide rate than trans people who haven't been able to is actually a study that compares trans people who've transitioned to cis people who aren't trans. That's the only study I've right. seen from I mean, anybody. Can... I've debated, listen, I've been doing this for two and a half years. I've debated like a hundred people on this topic and every single one of them that that has made that argument put forward that specific study. So, I mean, if you, you please, like on, on Twitter, if you want to DM me that study that you're referring to, I'll check it out, out off stream. I want to see that study if, if it suggests what you're saying it does. But I haven't seen, I mean, I, I do scour the internet for, for sources that tried to debunk this position. Like I've looked around. Um, I haven't seen any such study as the one you're describing. Um, but right now I'm providing you with 
named, well-recognized, well-respected, large academic associations and organizations that have not only collected this data and done studies on these topics that have had the desired conclusions, but I've referenced meta-analyses of dozens of studies that have taken into account all this, all this data and ha still had the same conclusion. Zero of these studies were found to have negative uh, impacts for transitioning on trans people. You could argue that maybe that sounds fishy, or it could literally just be, just like with gay people, being able to live their best lives and do as they wish and being accepted by society just makes them happier. It could literally just be that simple. So I, I feel like I'm just going to repeat myself. I have a specific methodological critique of the sort of research that's being cited. Uh, obviously, uh, like we said, you, you can't read a bunch of studies alive, but I'm also literally referencing dozens of studies. Uh, I feel like this is now we've already covered and we're kind of going in a circle. Um, I yeah, guess I, mean, I should yeah, add, can, like, I can... don't care about the authority of, like, Yale or whatever, but that's a totally different topic, but I should just, for the record, state that I you know, kind of discount that kind of credentialism. Well, as for, like, the, the appeals to authority, I don't believe that I, as a random dude on the internet, have the authority or the, uh, the qualifications to look at data or conduct a study or an experiment and collect that data and synthesize it and figure out what that data means, as it does take a pretty good education to look at data and actually make that into something, right? Like data on its own is pretty useless. You need people that that have fairly good understandings of what's going on with a particular subject that's being studied in order to make that data even mean anything. Um, to, to, for me to like suggest like here is Cornell University, like Cornell EDU, drop in enormous meta-analysis with like 56 trans studies and here's the conclusion. And I just, I don't trust myself to question these sources because these sources have people with way better educations and way more experience and way more knowledge than I ever could as just some rando on the internet. So I kind of have to trust them because for me, being just some rando trying to poke holes in their studies and their data, I don't even have close to the amount of, of information as they have. Uh, it would be folly for me to try to do something like that. It would be stupid of me. Okay, sure. So I guess, I guess there are a few different uh, things to say. Firstly, well, you may have some a priori suspicion about your own ability to understand what's going on if you read the study and uh, or the paper, and it's talking about self-reported um, emotional states, and you can easily think of a problem with that. I think then it just turns out that you actually can think of a critique of it, uh, and that that's not really a problem. In, in the second place, I guess we can just talk about this directly. Um, I mean, I have, I have no respect for these people. You're right that it takes a certain level of knowledge in order to accurately uh, interpret and assess data. There's a huge literature in the social science. Most PhD social scientists do not have this understanding. If you give them quizzes on the exact meaning of things like p-value, confidence interval, this sort of thing, very, very basic freshman statistical things, that the majority of them can't even correctly define these terms, let alone... I I'm so sorry. I can't believe that the majority of social scientists can't even define basic terms when it comes to collecting data. Social science, that is the field that's all about collecting data to make inferences about society and how people work. That's what that's all about. Like the whole study of social sciences, that's all about, all right, we collect data about people, we gather it, we interpret it, and we come to conclusions about people from that, right? Like that's literally the whole field. I cannot like our, I feel like our society would crumble if that was true. Like I, I feel like our our bridges and our houses would be 
literally crumbling into rubble right now, if that was true. So, um, I mean, what I, what I would say is just that uh, within social science, this has been talked about for a long time. There are many studies showing this going back decades. Um, among the, within every social science, there's a subfield of it normally that focuses on research methodology. And within that community, this, I don't think, as far as I know, there's not even controversy about this. Uh, there, are, there aren't studies going both ways or something. There's just a long list of studies showing uh, to lots of different professions. Uh, psychologists are the ones most commonly looked at, but you also have ones on epidemiologists, on other sorts of social scientists, um, private sector people with social science degrees, uh, the, 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 even ones teaching statistical classes, uh, classes in statistics, that uh, they would get you know, basically Fs on tests, uh, trying to understand, again, very basic things that are in virtually all the data that they report. Um, and I agree that it's like surprising in some sense that this is true, but it just is true. Uh, and, and the other thing I should say about like, uh, talking about the meta-analysis and whatnot, and we should also remember that a meta-analysis, uh, well, we shouldn't put too much stock in it. If you compare the results of a meta-analysis to the results of a uh, pre-registered uh, replication study, the effect size in the meta-analysis tends to be about three times larger, even when you do most of the normal ways that meta-analysis try to adjust for publication bias, suggesting that this sort of methodology actually tends, us to, tends to lead to a quite significant degree of error. Um, but anyway, yeah, I feel like we're kind of moving into a different topic now about trusted experts, but it is, I mean, it's a fine topic, so yeah, I guess we can... <laughs> I can't do the trusted experts topic because you're making the argument that the entire like so sociological sphere uh, here in America, at least, I don't know if this, what you said applies to other countries or whatever, but um, are like all like the whole field is apparently a sham, I guess. Like there's been no actual, you know, like, like are they all cheating? Is the, is the study of social sciences and statistics like, I'm pretty sure, so like to get a sociology degree, I'm pretty sure you have to take a statistics class, or I think statistics is a big part of it. Like, are they all cheating? Like, is the class, are all the sociology classes, or almost all of them, not sufficient? Because I'm trying to imagine how what you're saying right now could possibly be true, and like the the circumstances that would have to occur for this to actually be true would actually be like this would be one of the biggest conspiracies in this nation's history, if you could prove this true. Sure, so I mean, there, in terms of how it happens, there are a few things to say. Uh, one, a lot of people go into social sciences and they have their research methodology classes and those are the classes that they kind of barely get by in. Two, a lot of research classes are taught by people who themselves don't really understand uh, what's going on. Again, there are specifically studies giving quizzes to people that teach statistics and they tend to find, uh, it, especially in social science departments, they tend to find some result, similar results. And thirdly, a lot of the people in social science, I, my suspicion is don't deeply care about the quantitative side and because of this forget the meaning of the numbers that they're using, which is quite shameful, uh, but I don't know of a better explanation for how it is. Um, I mean, it's just a random one, but it's just a classic paper in this literature from 1993 given to about 500 psychologists. Uh, given a quiz concerning common statistical issues dealt with inside psychological research, specifically, the psychologist answered on average 55% of the questions correctly, which is an F, <laughs> right? Uh, and there's a long list of studies like this uh, in different professions. I mean, this is, this is just a thing. It's been talked about for decades. It's a problem that in the social science, it's just a minority of people that actually know what the numbers mean, and most of them don't. 
That sounds really bizarre to me. Are you sure you're not like referring to peer review and the scientific method where the whole argument is when well, you have we a could theory, talk, I, you put it through the ringer and you get it peer reviewed and you have other people like that might disagree or who's st- who might not be able to repeat the evidence? Like, you, I'm not sure. No, if, like, no, no, no. The, I'm th- the, I mean, the discourse in the scientific community is what you're talking about here. Because like what you're describing to me right now sounds crazy. Like, I, I don't want to sound rude, but it sounds crazy to me. No, uh, I mean, we could, there, there's lots of research on the problematic nature of the peer review process, but that's a distinct thing. I'm talking about, uh, like I said, researchers not understanding exactly what fundamental uh, metrics and statistics even mean. Saying stupid okay. shit, like that a p-value, if you, you're finding as a p-value of 0.03, that means that there's a 3% chance that it's wrong or something like that. So do you believe that when it comes to st- statistics, that you are more um, you are more qualified to look at statistics, raw stats, numbers, et cetera, and come to a conclusion from them than like sociologists are, or most in the sociological field are. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, just curious. All right, um, but then I want to reiterate though that that's just because I can see the quizzes that they're getting, and it's not because I'm a genius. It's just because for whatever reason they. I don't have sufficient caring to actually remember what these things mean because it's not super complicated to know exactly what a p-value means. But like a dozen studies have shown us that lots of academics don't. That's that's just the state of affairs. I didn't make it that way. The papers saying this aren't like from some weird think tank. They're just in normal peer-reviewed journals. Like I said, this has been talked about for decades. It's not even like a secret. It's not a right-wing thing. I've never even heard this talked about particularly on like a right-wing source or something. This is just something that... uh people in research communities talk about it. it's just a fact i don't know what to say they don't they don't know probably because they don't care okay um all right i guess um do you want to like uh move on to the next uh point all right <laughs> yeah sure uh i don't even know what that is uh <laughs> i mean yeah, I, I, you well, wrote it down at some point so you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean I, I wrote them so i guess we can we can talk about it i mean the next thing on the list is rapid onset gender dysphoria um, we can talk about that for a minute if you want. Oh, sure. And and, and you were upset because there's um there's a paper that used that that I think popularized that phrase. Yeah. Uh, that is based on the reports of parents and it's from a, a forum. And you were saying it was like a turf forum. I've heard people say that there was like a, a political quiz on the forum, and most of the people were like pro some kind of LGBT liberal thing, but I don't know exactly what the political orientation of the people. The, the forum in particular that that uh, data comes from, I believe has like, it's it's one of those forums that like you can hear the name of it and you're like, oh, okay. It's like protect women or like women's fight against uh, gender activism. It had a name like that, like a, a name that, Mumsnet, it was, mum, was it Mumsnet? Really? Yeah, it was Mumsnet, which is a pretty well-known like a uh, turf website. I, uh, Graham Linehan recently, like they hate men there. That's a huge part of it. There's, I'm not sure if you're super aware of the turf thing. Basically in the trans community, there's a disdain for a group of people who I would argue appropriate the label of feminist called TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists. These TERFs have a seething hatred for men. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like if you think you've seen man-hating feminists on any video or forum or Twitter, you will have your mind absolutely blown. These fucking TERFs genuinely believe that every man wants to like rape them or whatever. There, It is bizarre. So basically um, these TERF forums such as Mumsnet, which is the one I'm talking about specifically, this is where the rapid onset gender dysphoria thing came from. And this is the forum where I believe that particular poll was done. Yeah, sure. 
Um, and in my opening statement, I don't, I didn't like reference that specific paper. Uh, so to my knowledge, there's not a lot of data on this. Um, I'm actually only aware of two papers directly trying to look at this, and they're both of quite low quality, and then that's one of them. Um, so what I would say though is that we're seeing a rise in the number of people identifying as transgender with time. Mm -hmm. Seems to be concentrated in particular demographic groups, and that it would not be shocking if there was some degree of peer influence on that psychological state. There's peer influence on lots of psychological states and desires. Uh, but my position is definitely not that the data has come in and we just know that, that this is true. Uh, my, my position is that the data has not come in, that we don't know, but that nothing about the trends we're seeing makes it implausible that that would be so. And that if that's so, that's a serious cause for concern, given the elevated rates of suffering we see among trans people. So I'd suggest that, um, I mean, I, I've, this is what the studies tend to suggest as an explanation, whether or not you agree with that, I mean, could be up in the air, but this is my understanding of why this is the case. Um, I, I think it's the same reason, uh, or it is the same reason why uh, we've actually seen a rise in, in people coming out as gay or bisexual, right? I, I assume you're of the opinion that sexuality isn't a choice. It's like you're born that way. Uh, I mean, in, in, in that's a very generally you could say that. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically, um, we've seen a rise in people who are gay or bi coming out. And frankly, I, I don't think you can, I don't think being gay is a oh. choice. Like I could not, I could not make, make myself gay. Okay. I could not, I can't imagine looking at a dude and think that's attractive. So that's why I believe there's no way it could be a choice. Cause I can't even imagine just like being straight and then deciding to find other men attractive. It's just, I, uh, the whole choice thing doesn't really make sense to me because of that. Um, anyway, though, uh, I think it's for the same reason we've seen more gay and bi people come out. I think society broadly has gotten far more accepting of gay and trans people, et cetera. And so we've seen a lot more people come out as gay. We heard very, I know I'm drawing the same comparison, but there are many comparisons to be drawn, I think. Um, obviously, the same argument was made back in the day that, you know, uh, if your kid hung out with kids who were gay, then they were more likely to be gay. And that was a talking point that would come out more. I think it's a very simple explanation. I think it just has more to do with society getting more accepting. And um, obviously, if you are closeted trans or you are closeted gay, the friends you're going to be making at school or the friends you're going to be making in any social space that's given is probably going to be other people with that identity. So there's probably maybe a little bit of selection bias there, but yeah, that seems to be what the, what the data I've seen suggests as the reason, but um, you go ahead. Well, I think it would be very hard to tell that. Um, I, I'm not aware of any sort of methodology by which you could really discern whether or not that explained like what percentage of the trends say that that explained or something like that. Um, like I said, we don't have very strong data. I would be surprised, though, if it wasn't the case that having that option socially available, in the sense that it's something that you think of, it's a frame by which you are open to interpreting your psychological phenomena through that sort of thing. Um, I will suggest this is just an intuitive thing, which is intuitively, it would be very surprising to me if it is the case that actually there are no people who had a set of desires that in the past they would have interpreted one way, but now due to an open availability in their mind of other options, are inclined to interpret that in terms of gender dysphoria, just based on how the human mind sort of works generally. That would seem surprising to me. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just I'll stop there. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 
the rapid onset gender dysphoria thing or whatever anyone wants to call it, the R-O-G-D thing specifically comes from that study I talked about or that poll actually, that online uh, survey that I talked about, but that's generally the term that's used for it. Well, I, think- I, I, I can't like, I imagine maybe some kids or some young people or some people down the road, like maybe have been sort of convinced into thinking that they had gender dysphoria because they hung out with people who are, don't get me wrong. Okay. Listen, I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to be complete. This is me seeding a point completely over to you. Okay. I admit there are a lot of people in the trans community that can be a little bit weird about um, like other people and whether or not they're trans. There are a lot of people in my community, got a lot of trans people in my community like to call me an egg all the time and say that I'm like trans and in the closet or whatever. And it's a little disconcerting. And I understand that that probably isn't something that just happens in my community. I'm sure that happens a lot. There are a lot of trans people that joke or even suggest that certain people are, are trans and don't know it yet. And, and I think that's a little bit weird because it can lead to sort of muddying people's perception of their of their sexuality and whatnot. And it, it kind of maybe isn't good for people to have that sort of wrench thrown into the gears. But um, while I think maybe there's been some cases where people have been misled about their identity in the past, I think generally speaking, I, I just don't think there's any reason to disingenuously claim to be trans. That's my main um, concern I have with this argument from a lot of people on on your side of things. Because there's an implication that, okay, so if it's not being done sincerely and genuinely through a completely sincere and genuine desire to change your gender and to live differently and that um, there's this isn't like a valid identity, then the flip to that is that we shouldn't accept them and that they're causing some type of harm. And I, I don't agree with that or that they're causing harm to themselves. And I don't agree with that. They don't seem to think that either. Well, I definitely, well, so there probably is some subset of people who are literally just lying about their gender identity, but that's probably some, a very small there, There's number gotta of be some amount. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that's not primarily what I'm talking about. Uh, I would I would be thinking of people who have a set of like for instance say you're a, a male right and you're attracted to a set of uh, in some sense feminine behaviors or something like that and there's a million ways there's a million ways you could interpret those sorts of feelings and desires probably not a million but there's more than one let's say uh, and that a social context that primes you to interpret them in terms of gender dysphoria it would seem super unsurprising to me if that increased. Uh, the number of people who are interpreting them in that way. Whereas if it was in 1920, I bet a lot of people who had those same feelings, it's not that they would be thinking, oh man, I want to be, uh, they wouldn't be thinking about it in the exact same way, uh, like in, in terms of how trans people today think about like I'm the real identity as a woman or whatever. Uh, it, it would be a much, well, different, I mean, surely it would be a very different phrase. I don't even see how it would be possible to, to think that they think about the, the way that trans people do today. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't seem like um, we, so what I'm curious about is, do you believe that gender dysphoria, as it's been described by like the the medical, like the, the scientific community and like the, the medical field, do you believe that gender dysphoria is real? Um, I assume so. I mean, I'm not familiar off the top of my head with their description, but it's just the idea that uh, you ha- have a desire to be treated in a way that matches how people of a certain gender are normally treated, that is not the way that you would be treated if you were treated as someone who has the average gender of the person of your sex. I mean, something like that, roughly. Uh, I mean, that's certainly a thing, if they, assuming that's what they mean by it. 
Okay. So at the end of the day, our goal is to find essentially a treatment or a cure for gender dysphoria because we've we've seen gender dysphoria. We've witnessed it in the world. We've observed it. We've seen that it is a thing that people experience. So the argument is at the end of the day, everything we're talking about, about here really doesn't matter at the end of the day. What really matters, the real question that we're trying to answer is whether or not we allow trans people to pursue their transition or we build roadblocks to prevent it. Because if they're hurting themselves, then naturally we want to make it harder for them to do so. And if they're helping themselves, then naturally we should want to make it easier for them to do so. And I just have not been convinced um, uh, that there's enough evidence that trans people are, are hurting themselves by transitioning as opposed to helping themselves and that the studies and the data are all, you know, for the most part, uh, seem to have their shit together and seem to suggest that this is what's best for them. And I want what's best for them. I want the, what's best for everybody. Just like you mentioned before, how we need to have a set of categories for things that we consider to be societally acceptable and not based on maximizing human happiness. I mean, it, it seems like if we're trying to maximize human happiness, at least from my perspective, it seems like letting trans people do what they you know want in regards to their identity is the best way to do that. Right. And obviously, I've already explained why I don't think it's good for them. We talked about the suicide attempt and then the Yale and the trusting experts. And we could, we could do that whole thing again, but let's not do that whole thing yeah, again. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so the, the other thing I guess would be uh, to talk about, I think the final thing would be, at least the final thing I have, if you have something else, then obviously that's fine. Um, but that uh, cisgender people, right, we talk about, and this is most profound in the case of mate selection, um, right, that there's, that seemingly a lot of trans people would want the following to not be true. And not all trans people, of course, but uh, a significant number that they would say that there's something problematic about the fact that if there was a person who, so far as I could tell, was a female down to the, you know, I, 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 uh, I analyzed the genitals in detail. So far as I can tell, uh, there's no way physically for me to tell, tell that this person was uh, born uh, uh, male sex wise, um, that the knowledge that he, that person had been born a male would make me extremely, you know, have no sexual interest in them whatsoever. And even though visually, even if, and this is not, you know, the one with the case of trans people, but even if it was the case, they were visually completely indistinct from an actual female. And that's great. And, and seemingly to me anyway, right? You have to change that. If you want to take people seriously, when they say, I want to be treated like a woman, that's a big part of what it is to be treated like a woman. Um, and that to change that would require cis people doing something which is very, which would be very psychologically, I don't even know if it would be possible, but if it was possible, very psychologically uncomfortable for them. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, so I assume this falls in like the uh, wanting some amount of sexual, to be viewed sexually speaking in the, in the sexual marketplace as a woman as well by like cis or straight people or whatever. Um, I assume that falls into trans people desire others to interact with them in a certain way that point they yeah, made earlier yeah, yeah okay yeah so the trans movement outside of and i've run into some of these people and they exist but they're few and far between believe me um besides a few people in the trans like activism community that do unironically argue that you're like a horrible transphobic piece of shit if you have what i would refer to as genital preferences um uh then then yeah you would like there are people who would say that kind of thing but they are few and far between uh, broadly speaking, and I imagine you already know that, but um, there there are people that act like that. But broadly speaking, the trans community isn't trying to push cis people to have sex with them. I believe that, like statistically, most trans women tend to end up with other trans women, 
rather than cis women or cis men anyway. So it's not like there's really this massive group of trans people demanding to have, have had sex with. And even like if we draw the line to cis people, not every cis woman on the street expects you to have sex with them, right? Like th that's not the expectation they have when they go outside and they're a woman. They don't expect you to be like, all right, I want to have sex with, they don't expect every guy they encounter to want to have sex with them. They hope that doesn't happen even men, most of the time. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think a huge part of the trans movement is saying that if you don't think, if you wouldn't fuck me like you would any other woman, like in the case of a trans woman, then you're a transphobe. I don't think that's all that common of a talking point. Um, as for like broadly, uh, trans people desiring others to interact with them in a certain way, every single marginalized group expects that from people once they achieve some amount of social acceptance and respect, right? Like we had a general kind of social consensus more recently in the last few decades that if you're not racist and you accept that like black people are human and all that, then you probably shouldn't say the N word, not at least, at least not around them. They don't like it when you say it around them for sure. Um, that, that like with gay people, as they've gotten more accepted, we've sort of determined as a society that you shouldn't call them the F slur anymore. Like that's a thing that we shouldn't really do anymore. We should maybe let them get married. Like, yeah, we do kind of accept once these groups have sort of reached a certain level of broader uh, societal acceptance that, yeah, we do extend certain uh, uh, things to them that could be considered different behavior because of their identity, right? Like we maybe we, we stop calling black people the N-word. We've changed the way we act. We've stopped calling gay people the F-slur. And hopefully we do the same thing with trans people. We stop like, you know, denying their identity or referring to them by the T-slur or insert whatever, uh, you know, discriminatory behavior you could imagine. Sure. So firstly, what I was talking about before, um, was not a genital preference, right? Because I didn't specify that, and maybe- Well, when you know, I say genital preference that like, so there obviously there's bottom surgery for trans women. So they can have like a, it's called a neo-vagina is what it's called after the surgery. Um, obviously a neo-vagina that was made through a surgery isn't going to be exactly the same as a cis woman's vagina. So if you are like, well, I mean, sure. You're like, so for example, if I saw a trans woman and she'd gotten bottom surgery and she had a neo-vagina, I would not get canceled for saying to this, if, if this, let's say this hypothetical trans woman walked up to me and propositioned me for, for a date or some, you know, fling or whatever. And I turned them down. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm just not really into like, I got general preferences and all of that. I would maybe get canceled by like 1% of the online left, maybe less, right? Like this is broadly speaking, not a huge issue. Like there's not that many people calling for you or anybody else to have sex with trans women, even after they've had their, their surgery. And especially trans men aren't, aren't expecting uh, cis women to fuck them or, or trans men having sex. They aren't expecting cis men to fuck them uh, or vice versa, mm -hmm. uh, cis women to fuck them. Like this is just, isn't a thing that's like a huge issue. So it's not a, a huge issue right now, but I think that that's, well, there, I think that's for a few reasons. One of which is that as I think you even said, the surgeries that are available now typically do not make people physically indistinct from uh, cisgendered versions of the same gender. The, the point that I was trying to make was that even if they did, a lot of cis people would have a problem that had nothing to do with how they looked, right? It was just having to do with the fact that they knew that they were transgender. And the way that I've heard trans people talk about this normally is that if that is the core whole reason for the bias, I mean, that, I mean, A, it just objectively is an anti-trans bias, sexually speaking, and that B, they find that problematic. And to the degree that they're not demanding that now, I think you have to make a distinction between what people demand and what they want. Um, because if, if you take it 
seriously that they want to be treated as a woman, right, then what that, to be treated as a woman among many other things would mean that males would consider you a potential, well, straight males, a potential sexual partner. Of course, maybe they don't consider you a sexual partner because they don't find you attractive for some reason other than being trans. Uh, but to be excluded from the get-go because you're trans is to not be treated like a woman. I mean, that's just, that, that seems to me just to be the case. Uh, and I, I think that is, I mean, I guess there's no, to my knowledge, there's no like survey of this, but I think the tra- that, that is something that trans people generally uh, see as well. Yeah, so the trans movement actually is more so trying to like to give a more, I'll, I'll give like an example of how a very similar interaction could happen with like a cis woman and you. Um, I, I assume you're straight and you're into women. Maybe, True. maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, here's like a comparison that might happen here. Right. So let's say um, you're out of the bar with the boys. Okay. You're at, out of the bar with the boys. You see hot lady sitting in a stool, like two seats down and you lean over to your man, your guy, your brother, your boy, your best friend. And you're like, Hey man, uh, you see that girl down there? Fuck. She's hot, dude. Like, God, look at that ass. You know? Um, I'm also assuming you're single here. If you're married or anything like that, then hopefully uh, Sean's wife uh, or partner or whatever, do not take any, uh, any offense to this. Anyway, you see this woman at the bar, you're like, damn, she's hot. Do you know any, do you know her? And your friend's like, yeah, I know her. But like, listen, between you and me, bro, she got like this weird giant birthmark right on her leg. It's like the size of a dinner plate. It is not appealing. All right. It's like, you just don't go for it. Do you think that like making that, decision based on aesthetic problems to not have sex with a woman means you're no longer treating this woman like a woman like if i send you a picture look up um on your browser if you can right now nikita dragon very well-known trans woman model very attractive woman like you're gonna look at her and you're gonna be like that's a trans woman that's probably going to be your response if you see a picture of her if you saw her walking down the street you'd be like damn she's hot and you definitely treat her like a woman you'd have no way of knowing she's trans unless you're already familiar with her believe me um, you would treat her just as any woman you saw on the street. Do you think whether or not the vagina that, or whatever genitals this person has being, uh, whether it be a penis and balls or a, um, a vagina made through a surgery, do you really think that like, it would be good to change the way you treat this person in question? Because now you've seen their genitals and that's what told you that actually they were assigned a different gender at birth. So now you, you think it's appropriate to like flip your entire way you've treated them, the pronouns you use for them, the name you use for them, all of that. Do you, is like, does that really make sense? Well, I mean, two things. One, I mean, with the example of the girl with the wart or whatever, surely that would not the be- big birthmark. Yeah. Yeah. Surely not having sex with her because, or not trying to proposition her because uh, she had, that would not be to treat her like she wasn't a woman. But if the reason that I wasn't going to try to have sex with her was because I didn't consider her a woman, then surely that would be. I mean, these things- Well, no, the so trans community is trying to get it to be on that level, right? Like the argu- the scenario that you're describing, the, the goal of the trans community is to make it so it's as casual as that. Like your decision, just be like, eh, I'm not really into like trans women. It's just not my thing. You know, they want that, like the trans community wants that decision on your part to be as inconsequential and like at, just on the same tiers thinking, I'm not really going to hook up with that girl because insert feature that she has is an appeal 
appealing to me, even if every other feature she has or the rest of her is, you know, something you would find completely attractive and, and appealing. Maybe that one feature isn't something that's cool for you. So that's a deal breaker. That's the point that the trans community wants to bring it to. They don't want our society to be at a point where it's huge discourse that everyone's talking about or someone's getting canceled for when someone announces that like they wouldn't have a sexual relationship with a trans person. Most trans people want this out of the discourse. Most, a lot of trans people, when they saw I was having this debate, didn't want the debate to happen because they hate when debates happen between cis people over the validity of trans people's bodies. They hate it. They just want to be left alone to live their own life. They hate this whole discourse and culture war and moral panic and everything around it. Um, it, it feels like the id poll, the onus of defending their own identity has been shoved upon them by the right rather than the perception of them stepping up and engaging in this uh, activism in a way that's meant to sort of annoy the general populace that doesn't really care about politics. No, the trans community engages in the rhetoric and the behavior that it does because it, identity politics, oppression, and, and sort of a being forced to fight for social acceptance has been thrusted on them, not because they're trying to force you into anything. This is more of a retaliatory movement than a um than one that's just coming out of the woodwork to fuck things up as some might say okay well i think this is going to just come down to us saying that we have seen trans people say different things um and we probably can't get past that yeah i mean there's only so many barriers in our disagreement that we can really like talk through in a debate but i mean if, if there's a point where you feel like it's just not going to be productive then feel free to like move it on or hell i mean we can we can wrap up pretty soon if, if we're running out of time because um i don't know if there's much more to go through but uh it's up to you you can you can lead it from here because i don't really have much else to talk about um yeah did you want i mean we were supposed to do like a q a weren't we you yeah exactly. there's the q a yeah we can jump right into it. And want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. We really do appreciate these guys. And also want to remind you, want to encourage you to attack the arguments instead of the person. And we are very excited to let you know our guests are not only linked here in the description on YouTube, but if you're listening via podcast, we link our guests, both Sean and Xander Hall, in the podcast episode as well. So you can find their links there too. This first question coming in from NXC5 says, Xander Hall, do you consider biological facts when you talk or think about these things like XX and XY chromosome pairs or neuroscience or, oh, I don't know how to mispronounce this, physi, physiognomy, physi, help me out here, physiognomy? Very, very fancy science word, I'm sure. Um yeah, uh, I mean, I consider all of these things when it comes to the argument that I'm making, of course. Yeah, especially when it comes to the um, the argument of, like, psychology. Yeah, that's a big part of it. That's the Psychology is the bread and butter of uh, the whole, like, trans argument, really. That's where all of, all of it's coming from. You got it. This one from Mango T says, let's see, thanks for your kind words and appreciate your support of these debates. So I want to mention, as I already said, our guests are linked in the description, and we really do appreciate these guys. Nikki says... Thank you, Xander Hall. You're hitting the nails right on the head. You got a fan out there, Xander Hall. Thank you. This one coming in from Mango T. He says, Zan, do you believe that your identity is a test from the almighty creator? And do you think you should overcome those feelings? Do I think that my identity is a test from a creator? No, I don't think so. I'd uh, I'd say my I'm pretty happy with my identity. I'm I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. I need to go to the gym more. Got a, two things I'm working on right now: waking up earlier and getting to bed earlier, and going to the gym more. That's my that's the current thing I'm trying to overcome in my life. 
You got it. And Mango T also asks, Zan, do you believe your identity is a result of isolation and abuse, or is it from societal programming? God, it's impossible to tell, right? Like this is a, this is a question I think about so much. How much of our personalities and how much of the way that we are is a product of nurture and how much of it is a product of nature? It's such an interesting thing to think about for a while. Like if you get the opportunity, take a few puffs from the old uh, the old Kush and uh, just really give it a thought for a while. It will send you on quite the trip. Um, I'm inclined to believe that nurture has a, a bigger effect on your personality or identity and who you end up being than, than like nature, how you're born. Um, I, I think it's more so your environment, personally. You got it. And this question coming in from the Crawdaddy029. Now, some of these are comments as well. They said, as a society, we discourage deception. Affirmation of transsexual is a deception. The trans quote-unquote ally is dodging this by name-calling it gender when sex is the key word. Um, yeah, so sex and gender aren't the same thing. This is overwhelmingly agreed upon. We didn't even get into this during the debate, but yeah, there's just no, like, there's no foundation for an argument on that whatsoever. Sex and gender just aren't the same thing. This one coming in from Ozzy and says, keep your government out of my pants, my choice. True. Next up from Volt14 says, given that Sean finds entire social science fields illegitimate, what standard of evidence would change his mind? What kind of evidence does he need or such scenario can't be imagined? Give you a chance to respond, Uh, Sean. Yeah, so given that the question was given that I consider social science to be trash, what kind of evidence do I need? Um, Roughly speaking, yep. Right. So, so firstly, I should say it's not that, that all of social science is trash. It's just that social science is regularly done by people who, again, don't really understand what the numbers mean and can't discern for themselves whether or not it's uh, trash particularly well. I mean, I can give you uh, there are basic guidelines for determining, you know, uh, if research is trustworthy. It is the statistical power of the research high or the p-values of the findings hanging around. Uh, 0.05 if so that's a major red flag i mean there's a bunch of things you can look at if you want to um but they're not like novel it's not like my ideas but it's just the way to do it it's not sort of it's not like my opinion um and then about the trans stuff specifically um well for one i'm just the most obvious thing right would be that if people if it just was not the case that people who have gone further with these desires tend to have higher rates of suicide attempt, uh, the people who have not, I mean, that obviously would cause a change in my view. Uh, just you the reverse it. of the evidence I cited. I, I don't know. It's, it seems like kind of an obvious answer, but I'm not sure what else to say. This one coming in from Turbo says, Xander, do you truly believe that the difference between a real and fake vagina is, quote, purely aesthetic, unquote? I mean, if you're having sex with it, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I don't think that most people when they have sex are doing it to procreate. So that's not really uh, a matter of the question, I think, most of the time. But yeah, I'd say probably if you're just having sex with uh, a surgically created vagina and a, like biologically created vagina, then they're probably going to feel and look mostly the same, probably. You got it, Dan. Thank wait, you very much. Do you, mind, do you mind if I add one extra little detail about that? This is yeah, actually please. really interesting. Um, and I, I learned about this about a year ago, uh, watching a Blair White video. Um, Blair White had claimed that uh, trans women couldn't get uh, uh, 
cervical cancer, which sounds, makes sense, right? Like, okay, well, all right, trans women probably can't get cervical cancer. And I ended up looking into it. As it turns out, trans women who've gotten bottom surgery um, can get cervical cancer in the neocervix, the new cervix created by the surgery. So if you're a trans person out there and you, if you're a trans woman and you've gotten bottom surgery, um, definitely get checked uh, just like you would uh, a cis woman, get get checked for cancer in, in that area because it, it can happen just like it could do a cis woman. You got it. And this one coming in from Zap Rising says, is Sean aware of Alden's fallacy on trans issues? Alden's fallacy? I think that's a meme. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a Bosch meme if I remember Any, Anything, anything that, with Alden a, in it is a Bosch meme. Right. That's or referencing coconuts. when the kid was asked about like Alden's number. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I'm, big, I'm familiar with this meme. So. This one coming in from <clears throat> St. St. Beloved Appreciate It says, X, do you believe a large part of the trans suicide rate is because not many are attracted to trans people, and of those who are, they are not the best? Uh, not really, no. That would be insane to me. Like, the idea that, like, just a lack of attraction would be, like, the, like, I don't know. That sounds like a little bit too incel for me. I think uh, probably bullying and societal acceptance is is probably a stronger explanation for that. But um, I mean, I don't even agree with the premise there. I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's no data on this for sure. But if you go on Twitter, I see those trans women thirst posting for each other like crazy. And there are some also some really, you know, pretty good looking trans people out there. There's some handsome trans men, some beautiful trans women out there that I've seen. So I don't know if I don't necessarily agree with the premise. You got it. This one coming in from Ben Dover it says sex is an immutable biological reality. Gender is a social construct built upon biological realities to create social cohesion and cooperation. Social constructs exist because they work and they ought to be enforced. Social constructs exist because we created them. Uh, they're just the existence of social constructs and the fact that we have them isn't in it, in it, in it of, the, of itself as this person said, evidence that it's a good thing. Racism is a social construct. The concept of like black and white people, Asian, et cetera, like these are concepts that we've categorized ourselves. There's no like stone tablets deep in some ancient uh, magical ruins that we dug up that said, oh yeah, by the way, this is where all the races are, the races and ethnicities. And this is like the boundaries of what nations and what geographical areas they exist in. That's just not how it works. We socially constructed these ideas because at the time we thought they served either some uh, uh, service or they made things simpler. And maybe at the time they did, but just because we had those social constructs doesn't make them good. I would hope most people watching don't think racism is good. That's a social construct. We're trying to get rid of that. Um, that's just, I don't think just because we made a thing means that it's good and we ought to keep it around. You got it. This one coming in from Temp Account says, can you ask Sean to maybe clarify his argument? Why does trans people being suicidal for biological reasons support not affirming trans identities? Seems there are missing steps. Sure. So the reason is that it seems to be the case that, I mean, there are two things. One, that among trans people, there's a continuum of suicidality, and it tends to be higher among those people who have uh, most pursued the desire uh, in various respects. And so hopefully that, like, it, it, you can say you don't think that's true because X, Y, and Z, but if that was true, hopefully you can see why then you would want to discourage people 
from leaning into that desire. And then in the second place, uh, as we talked about before, there's not a lot of good data telling us one way or the other, but it, I think it's certainly a plausible possibility that transgenderism being affirmed socially increases the number of people who are transgender and that that in turn spreads human suffering as well. So uh, hopefully that clears it up a bit. You got it. And this one from Temp Account as well. This one for you, Xander says, during the, <clears throat> can you ask Xander Hall during the AMA what it means to be a man slash woman in the sense trans people use it? Can he define those terms in a non-recursive way? Sure. So if you ask a progressive person or somebody who's part of the trans community what uh, their gender is or what their identity means, what's it mean to be a man, what's it mean to be a woman, what's it mean to be non-binary, you're going to get a lot of very different answers because it means something different to, frankly, everybody. Um, but broadly speaking, I think you'd find uh, a very common answer of it's some a man, someone who identifies as a man, a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. And while categorically that is, in fact, true, sex is the sex, like, sex is has to do with your biology gender has to do with when the doctor takes you out and sees what kind of genitalia you have they assign you a gender based on your sex right um these are you're just kind of raised with it that's what you end up with by societal standards we've got plenty of different things that we consider to decide what is a man and what is a woman but from someone on the left you would try to break down those standards to have a more libertarian free society without uh, the bonds of social expectations and everybody forcing them to live their lives in a certain way. Uh, it's sort of, you get to make your own life. You get to make your own identity. You get to make who you decide who you are, not society. That's generally the left wing uh, uh, goal behind breaking down our conceptions of gender. You got it. And I mean, there's one last question. I just want to, I think I might've lost it. Give me two, two seconds. Ryan Secord, I think partly meant to be trolling, but we'll give you a chance if you want to address it in terms of whether or not they literally are raising this objection. They say, for Xander Hall, can Sean identify as the win winner of the debate? And this might be a chance for you to, if uh, what your position would be in terms of the differences in terms of identifying as a person who won a debate versus identifying as a man or a woman. If they, yeah. if they are serious, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so identity and gender identities depending on who you ask you'll get very different answers as i mentioned before um from if we really want to get radical with it and this is a very radical perception though i do tend to agree with it more the argument made by those that are a bit more radical on the left is usually that gender is entirely entirely social socially constructed that we've just noticed that there's a a general um sort of bimodal distribution in sexual characteristics uh, and we've sort of assigned a social I, like label to that that we use in our society. And that social label has sort of grown a uh, certain amount of expectations went along with it. When it comes to new genders, new identities, which identifying as the winner of X debate would qualify as if it was done so in sincerity. Um, I mean, technically, that could be a new gender identity if it was if it was accepted by a certain social space. That that's all our gender identities are, after all. The only reason why we use boy, girl, man, woman is because we've normalized it. Otherwise, we might be using just male or female or some other distinction for categorization of people's sexual identity, right? Or, or sexual um, identity, how they were assigned at birth, whatever. Um, it, I think it has to do with the sincerity. I don't like setting a precedent for trying to analyze the reasons for why a trans person identifies the way that they do. I think whether or not we accept that person and 
whether or not that person is like acting in good faith is something we can just kind of determine based on their other actions. And if there's some crazy pedophile who's pretending to be trans or whatever to try to touch kids at some book event, I think we should condemn that person for being a pedophile, not for being trans. And I know that's been something that people bring up. Um, I think it has to do with the sincerity of it. If, if Sean legitimately identified their sexual identity or their gender identity as the winner of the debate, then I, I guess I'd, I'd say I'd accept it. I'd accept it if it was genuine. You got it. And this question coming in hot from St. Beloved says, Xander, what age should kids be introduced into a trans lifestyle? What age is appropriate for the trans talk? Trans talk and being introduced to a trans lifestyle? You doing all right? You all right, Sean? I don't get the joke, oh. but we'll give you a chance yeah, to respond, I, I, Xander. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't pick up anything funny from that question. Um, so I'm going to leave that smarter minds than me. But from this, the research that I've done, it seems like um, when it comes to social transitioning, uh, as long as like it's to the discretion of like whatever medical professional has done the discussions and the uh, psych psychological analysis of the child in question. Um, this just isn't up to me. I don't have the experience or the knowledge to be able to make that decision. Seems like around the age of speaking is around when doctors are able to like get a decent gauge on the mindset of whoever they're talking to. And that's usually when it's recommended for a gender experiencing minor to start dressing differently or calling themselves something different, maybe around the age of 10 or 11, that's when um, medical professionals will advise the introduction of um, hormone blockers, uh, assuming that so far the long-term uh, analysis of this individual has resulted in like, you know, just socially transitioning has worked out for them. Then they can upgrade to hormone blockers, which are not hormones. They just sort of delay puberty uh, for a while. And that's done to ensure that the person in question doesn't experience the wrong puberty. Uh, if they, like, let's say we have a trans woman on our hands and they're like, this trans girl is like 10 years old. Now it's possible that when they end up being 13, 14, 15, 16, they realize, nope, it was all a phase. I'm not actually trans. I'm a boy. It was just, I like playing with dresses. I like wearing dresses. I like playing with dolls. That's just what I liked. Never mind. Never mind. False alarm. Um, the hormone blockers basically allow for a bit more time without the downside of during that time uh, experiencing a more hard to reverse puberty, incorrect puberty, right? Um, and so obviously in most cases, the, um, the vast majority of cases, I should clarify, hormone blockers can be reversed. We put kids on hormone blockers for other things all the time, such as um, uh, um, uh, they're like uh, uh, just any issues having to do with hormones, one of them being a pituitary gland issues. I had, I had a friend in school who was on horm uh, hormone blockers for that. Um, and then, of course, uh, down the road, uh, once adulthood is reached, and I believe in the UK specifically, you have to live a year, uh, like a few years maybe, uh, identifying as the gender that, like as trans and being out as trans in society. Then I believe doctors in the UK, and I think that, that step is skipped in the US, um, once like the age of adulthood or like 16, 17 around there is reached, then hormones can be introduced. So that seems to be the process now, and I mostly agree with it. I don't see any issues with that process. You got uh, it. You, now, before we wrap up, Sean, I don't know. Maybe you're looking at something in chat. And maybe, so I don't want to assume too much in case you were laughing about something else. And maybe you didn't know that you were not muted. So uh, if you have something to say, though, I'm willing to explore it before we wrap up because we, well, we're at, yeah, we've got a good amount of time yet. 
Do, uh, Sean, you, thoughts uh, on this, Sean? And then, of course, we'll give you a chance to respond, Xander Hall, in, in case Sean does have anything. Can you hear me right now? Now we, yes, we can. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I thought I was muted before. I apologize for that, uh, all of that laughter. Um, uh, no, to be honest, I, that, I wasn't even listening that hard to what he was answering after I realized that I wasn't muted. I was just laughing <laughs> into, the, uh, into the mic such that people could hear me. Uh, obviously, I don't agree with like encouraging kids to do the trans thing, but this is like way there's down so, the road because there's if I don't so agree, many layers. I know, right? Like, right. like if we're gonna agree on like kids being able to transition, then there's so many like le- fundamental layers beneath that. Before we like, we'd have to agree on we'd have to start by agreeing on like the data, like whether or not the data uh, that's out there right now that affirms trans people or not doesn't affirm trans people. We'd have to agree on whether or not that is conclusive. Then we'd have to agree on whether or not trans people like philosophically ought to be recognized by whatever identity. And then way up that tower of agreement, we can get to, okay, now should we let kids transition? There's just so many like, we'd have to yeah, have it'd be, it'd be so many conversations. If I was like, uh, yeah. let's discourage adults from doing it, but it's cool if kids yeah. do. That would be a very strange position. Yeah, there's, there's a few too many layers of disagreement we have there for, for that discussion, I think. You got it. This last one coming in from Mango T. Last second question says, Xander, do you believe that your sexual identity is a test? Should you overcome it? I could have sworn someone else asked that too. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that might be a meme, uh, maybe from Sean's community or something. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think it's a test. I don't think. I don't really think that how you're born is a test that you need to overcome. Even if you're trans, I don't think how you're born is a test that you're overcoming. Um, I think when you're trans and you're transitioning both socially and physically and and maybe surgically and whatnot, um, uh, you're not overcoming a test that was put forward towards you or whatever. You're just, that's your journey, okay? Everybody has a journey in their life. Everybody's life journey is different. Everybody has their own experience and everything. And in your particular life journey, you are going to experience a, a cavalcade of change to yourself. And you're going to come out of it almost a different person. And that's a good thing, if that's what you want. You got it. And with that, I want to say, folks, we really do appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks so much for all of your questions, as that makes the Q&A fun. And especially, though, thanks to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Sean and Xander Hall, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. And I had a really yeah, fun I'm... conversation. Thank you for talking to me, Sean. Yeah, appreciate it as well. 100%. And want to remind you guys, folks listening out there, our guests are linked in the description, and that includes if you're listening via the Modern Day Debate podcast. And with that, we'll be back in just a moment with upcoming debates to talk about, as well as I am very excited. I had already mentioned it before, my dear friends. We are thrilled for the first ever debate con. Modern Day Debate is hosting our first conference this January. We'll talk about that during the post credit scene in just a moment as well. Thanks so much to our guests, and we'll be right back in just a moment.
Ladies and gentlemen, want to say thanks so much for hanging out with us as always, and also want to say thanks so much to Xander and Sean. It has been a true pleasure, and I got to tell you, the debaters are the lifeblood of the channel. They make this channel fun, and they are linked in the description, because if you're listening and you're like, hmm, I like that. I want to hear more. Well, you certainly can hear more by clicking on those links. What are you waiting for? But I want to say Hello to you in the chat, my dear friends. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Macabre storytelling. Am I pronouncing that right? I know it's like macabre, if I am saying it right, like old kind of like horror kind of like stories, right? But anyway, we're glad you're here. And Hacks, good to see you again. Steven Michael, thanks for coming by. Rock Band Records, good to see you there in the old chat, as well as Samage and in Hacks, thanks for coming by. And I got to tell you, let's farm. Thanks so much for being with us. And that reminds me, folks, we have our Discord linked in the description box in addition to the debates, you could say the debaters links, so that if you want to join the Modern Day Debate Discord, we highly encourage you. What are you waiting for? That link is in the description as well. But let me tell you about this absolutely epic conference. We have done in-person debates before. We have done them in Los Angeles, Texas, let's see, Dallas and Austin. And this time, though, it's not just a one-day type of thing. It is a three-day conference. We are so pumped for DebateCon number one. This is going to be big. This is solely hosted by Modern Day Debate as our first ever conference, Modern Day Debates, DebateCon, and we want to say thanks for that super chat. Sigma Any says, missed many ham grenades. Good to see you, James, and chat fam. Thanks so much, Sigma Any, for your support of the channel, and thanks for saying hello. We are pumped that you made it, and... My dear friends, I've got to tell you, we hope you make it as well to this in-person debate conference. It'll be three days starting on Saturday, January 15th through Monday, January 17th. It is going to be bonkers. We are excited. We've got a lot of work to do. But I do want to tell you, we have already, for example, asked Destiny. Destiny has agreed to come. We have basically a number of debaters, and we want to make sure that everybody's, you could say, position is well represented. So we, politically speaking, want to make sure that we have everybody from across the political spectrum. So people who are more politically left, people who are more politically right, you name it, we are absolutely excited for that. And I got to tell you, it is going to be a gigantic one as we are going to have one day devoted solely to political debates, Another day devoted solely to religion debates, for example, is Islam true and is Islam dangerous? Those types of debates, as well as a single day completely devoted to science debates. So it is going to be a blast. My dear friends, you don't want to miss this. I'm telling you, all of or almost all of the streams will be live streamed during the conference. So if you're like, oh man, I can't make it. That's in Dallas. That's too far. Amazing. Well, don't worry. You'll be able to watch most of the streams live. They are free and open to the public. We are absolutely pumped for it. And I'm telling you, this is going to be groundbreaking. It will shake the foundations of the online debate world. We are confident of that. And the reason is we are excited that a number of high-level speakers, like I said, I, I just got an email back from Destiny today. We're excited about that as well as, like I said, different speakers across the different genres who have already agreed. And so, believe me, 
you don't want to miss it and it is going to rock the house cosmic breach thanks for coming by we we're glad you were here and james 119 thanks for being with us perpetually annoyed says hello james we're glad you're here perpetually annoyed good to see you there again as well as in hacks says hi james Ooh, twice that's right three times now lochness monster good to see you says macabre oh you're right okay so macabre no macabre right no ray at the end Good to know. Thanks for the reminder. And Stephen Michael, I am glad to see you there. As well as Ryan Secord says, I want to get involved with the debate con. I am located in Dallas. Debating would be cool, but getting involved in general would be cool as well. Well, Ryan, I am at moderndaydebate at gmail.com. So really easy to remember. If you're like, what was the email that James told me he was at? Oh, I was like, oh. As you're trying to remember, it's just moderndaydebate at gmail. Very easy to remember. And so if you do want to be involved, I've got to tell you, we've already got kind of the debate card in terms of the speakers that we're planning on inviting. And the topics as well are almost set. But I'm open. Like, let me know. There's a way in which we might be able to get you involved. And so I am pumped, though. It is going to be a lot of fun as I love meeting people. And so I've got to meet some of you in Dallas. And this is during, I think it was just during, just at the start of COVID. And I'm so thankful that our guests followed through because that was like just when COVID started. People didn't know exactly what it was, but I don't know if you guys remember. It was like the media had not yet. I hadn't even heard about social distancing yet. They, they weren't even talking about that. And so at that point, we were hosting a debate with oh, me, Matt, Dillahunty, and David Wood all crammed into this small table. And, and I'm so thankful that they didn't. Nobody got sick. Uh, but yeah, we like I said, I hadn't even heard. People were like social distancing, and I was like, "What are you? What is social distancing?" That's it was so. It was like right. It was maybe like a few days after the you could say the the word uh, everything really set in in terms of the COVID. But that's why obviously we didn't have a huge audience for that. We tried to limit the audience. But I do want to tell you, my dear friends, we are actually going to have an audience for this upcoming conference. Oh, yeah, it's going to be gigantic, my dear friends, and then. Arcade Outpost, good to see you. Says, I am based and rad. Just like intraspecies. Are you still out there, intraspecies? Intraspecies has just been pushing me around so much. And I... It's so embarrassing. It really is. You wouldn't believe it. But macabre storytelling. Oh, Oliver Catwell says, do you know the venue yet? We're not yet sure of the venue. That's still being nailed down, and that's an important part. I agree. But we, we are definitely going to find that out, so don't worry about it. But it is something that's like a high priority. I'm waiting for a particular hotel to get back to me. It's going to be at a hotel. So for those of you who are like, I don't care where it is. I will, I will fly there. I will come. If you are absolutely determined, or and maybe you're in Houston, and that's the trick. The nice thing about Dallas is huge hub in terms of Austin, Houston, San Antonio, obviously Fort Worth right next door to Dallas, Lubbock, maybe a quarter of a million people. So there are so many giant cities. Well, Lubbock's not giant, but you get the idea. Like Houston and Austin and San Antonio are juggernaut type cities. So large populations where, hey, make the drive. I mean, especially Houston. It was like, maybe like four hours. And so want to encourage you, my dear friends, it's going to be a juicy one. And it will be at a hotel though. So in case somebody is like, hey, well, like, I don't know where to stay. You could stay at the hotel that we're hosting you at. The details on that are still being confirmed though. But Stephen, Michael, 
says, hey, I'm on the right, but destiny is good fun. And then Mark Reed, good to see you there in the old chat. And then two seconds, the chat's moving on, on me. I'm catching up. But Squeezel Diesel, pumped you made it, says, hey, I missed it. Well, better late than never, Squeezel Diesel. Brooke Chavez, thanks so much for your support of the channel. I see your based and red pilled, based and or red pilled membership status with those sweet <laughs> emoticons. Amazing, as well as soy boy and juicy, as well as nasty guy. That's right. We are excited about the memberships, though. So I do want to encourage you if you uh, if you do dig memberships on YouTube, we do have that available now, and it is fun because you can use our favorite emoticons using key catchphrases from the Modern Day Debate channel, including nasty because we frequently have old Steven's team. We haven't seen Steven in a while when I used to call him a nasty guy, but we do love Steven. I seriously, I, I really appreciate Steven. And Cosmic Breach says, James, I'm usually on a VPN and can't comment. You keep me alive while I process credit card fraud and BS stories all day long. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. That is encouraging. I really do appreciate that. And then Stephen Michael says, Ben, with you for quite a while now, James. Love you, brother. Thank you. I love you, Stephen. And I am pumped that you have been with us for so long. It means a lot because we've been through a lot together, my dear friends. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I remember. You remember when you used to have like all the audio issues? Like, oh, my. It was, it was really bad for like a year. It was so bad where it would all of a sudden like the audio would just go out and people would be like, we can't hear anybody. So I want to say... Thank you for being with us this whole time. And then Cosmic Breach says, yeah, who doesn't want to be involved? I'll moderate. I'll email you, buddy. Cosmic Breach, thanks for letting us know. And we are pumped about it. Arcade Outpost says, James, throw a Roman on stream. I don't know what a Roman is. Is that some sort of sexual innuendo? Throw in a Roman? Like the Tokyo Sandblaster? You don't want to know what that is. As well as... Taking grandma to Applebee's. All these nasty, sick, sexual innuendos that you guys have. I just... Nasty guys. All right. Let's see. Uh, perpetually annoyed. We're pumped that you're back. Perfect one. Thanks so much for being with us again. Says the word macabre may be pronounced macabre or macabre. Macabre. But it's correctly or originally pronounced macabre. Like cob of corn. That is so good to know. And I am pumped. Devious Dago is back. Says, am I late or did we just start? You are late. But nonetheless, don't worry. The debate will be here on the channel for the future. And Stephen Michael says, oh, that's right. Got that one. You have been here for us, with us for a while. And uh, Brooke Chavez says, let's see. Mark Reed, wouldn't that be awesome? I don't know what would be awesome. What are you guys talking about? And then Hannah support says, yes, you can also support the channel and by joining the channel channel membership. We, we do appreciate. Thanks for that support, Brooke. And hey, if you haven't yet, hit that like button. You guys, you might as well. And you guys might be looking at, you might, maybe you're looking at the dislikes. And depending on whether or not SoyTube has hidden the dislike count for you yet, because some people still can see the dislike number and some people are not able to see it. I think it's that YouTube may even be doing it based on uh, location. I'm not sure how they're doing it. But if you can't see or if you can see the dislike button or the number in particular, you might be thinking, oh, James, oh, 15 dislikes. That's discouraging. Those are just our 15 supporters from Australia who hit like. So don't worry. And we, we want to say thanks so much for all your support from Australia. Sunday Worship, good to see you as well as 
Stephen Michael says, you deserve a way bigger sub base. Thanks for that, Stephen Michael. And we are excited about the future as, I've got to tell you, we anticipate some major growth in 2022. We have already told you, we are determined. We are on a march to 60,000 subscribers by the end of this year. So that means in one month and one week, we are going to surpass that 60,000 mark. Believe me, it's going to happen. We are going to get beyond it. And we're pumped about that. We are also pumped that Without a shadow of a doubt, we are determined and we are on a march to 100,000 subscribers by the end of 2022. And I think even by fall of 2022, I think it's a very realistic possibility that we hit that mark. Believe me, we are excited about that, my dear friends. We have a lot of big plans for Modern Day Debate. And for us, I've got to tell you, we are absolutely thankful for everybody who's become a subscriber. Thank you for supporting the channel so much. Seriously, it really does mean more than you know. Thanks for your likes. Thanks for your subscribing. Thanks for sharing the video, all sorts of ways that you support the channel. Seriously, it makes a big difference. And I've got to tell you, the biggest thing for us is impact. And I've got to tell you, I'm encouraged that, I am very encouraged that when you look at channels that are sometimes twice as big as us, they don't even have as many views as us in many cases. And you're like, oh, it's because it's like some sort of old channel that like rarely puts out content anymore, huh? No, no, no. I'm talking about some channels that are about twice the size of us and that are active, maybe even putting out more videos than we do, because we only do about three debates a week. But some channels that have got double the subscribers, nonetheless, their view count is significantly smaller. And so what we really are encouraged by is that Modern Day Debate is having a huge impact. And we are excited that we have so many subscribers, but we're also excited, my dear friends, that Modern Day Debate's you could say impact via people who actually watch our content. Cause that's the thing. Ask yourself this. Cause a lot of people think that like subscribers, like the subscriber number is the biggest deal. And I'd say, think of it this way. If you could have a hundred thousand subscribers, but only about a thousand views per video, would you rather have that? Or would you rather have 50, I don't know, 58,000 subscribers and have an average of maybe 10,000 views per video. That's like probably close to our average. If you if you include the big ones that get like 20 to 40,000, like our average is probably 20 or about 10,000. So I've got to tell you, we are pumped for that, my dear friends, as we are thrilled for the future, as we strive to pursue the vision of providing a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field while discussing the big questions of life we want to say thanks so much for being with us, though, my dear friends. In the old Twitch chat, pardon my delay, first time chat from viewer. <laughs> it got deleted. <laughs> I don't know who said sent it there, but whoever that is, the first timer in the old Twitch chat, I guess I guess your comment got deleted. I'm so sorry. Srens00. If you're a real person and not a bot, we are so glad to have you with us. And you know, even if you're a bot, we're glad to have you here. But I've got to tell you, we actually don't like spam, of course, and we always want to follow the terms of service. So if you ever wonder, you're like, oh, man, like, I feel like there's like rules here, man, like too many rules. And we want to like buck the trend and like rage against the machine. Well, the trick is YouTube actually recommends our videos a ton. I think, like I said, didn't I tell you that like one of our videos, I think it had like 4 million 
impressions. What does that mean? That means that YouTube, for one of our videos, our most popular video, has been shown to 4 million people. That's nuts, you guys. That is a huge help. Imagine if we were just like, eh, yeah, we're on a platform. Like, and I, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw any other platforms on, under the, the bus. But like, let's say you're on a tiny platform like BitChute. You're not going to get that many free impressions from BitChute recommending your video. You just won't. If you want to grow your channel, I would highly recommend it. The, the way to start is you start on YouTube. But I want to say we are thankful that YouTube has helped us grow a lot by recommending our videos to people. And that's how we've gotten many, many new subscribers. And so we are excited about that growth. And so, yeah, we do follow the rules, the terms of service, because we don't want to cut off the growth branch in terms of how fast the channel grows that we are sitting on. Why would we break the terms of service if YouTube's helping us grow at a significant rate? That doesn't make sense. So yeah, we do follow the terms of service. But let's see here. I'm going to wrap up in just a moment, but I do want to say thank you so much for your support. Seriously, you guys, you make this fun. And Brooke Chavez says, smash that like button. I couldn't agree more. My dear friends, we are at 117. We can totally get to 120 likes by the end of this stream. We only need three more. So if you're listening, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. I, mean, I forgot to hit like. Go ahead and hit that based and or red-pilled like button. My dear friends, want to say thanks for your support. Sunday Worship says, Modern Day Debate got that good dope. Keeps them coming back. Thanks for your kind words, Sunday Worship. We really do focus on providing the most addictive dope on YouTube. So we don't really sell any drugs, YouTube, obviously. Or Twitch, we don't, we don't sell any drugs. That was a joke. But let's see. And Hack says, all the bigger channels have fake subs. Not, well, I don't know if all of them do, but I, I do suspect, I sometimes I look at channels, I, I'm on a level with you guys. I'm going to tell you guys some of the inside details of my experience on YouTube. So <clears throat> sometimes I will see channels where you can, for, once you go through the growth process and you like, I remember like roughly, not super well, but I, I remember like roughly how many views we got when we were at like 10,000 subscribers or 30,000 subscribers. And so I can, just by eyeballing it, I think I can actually identify some channels. I'll never name them. But sometimes when people will say, James, I, this person wants to debate me. Here's their channel. They have a huge sub count. So can you, can you host us? And I'm like, well, let me look at the video, like their channel first. And I look at the channel and sometimes I realize 123 likes. We just passed the goal of 120 by three. Thanks so much. We can totally get to 125. We only need two more. Now I'm going to tell you, let me tell you about the juice here is that I can tell sometimes people will say, Hey, uh, James, check out this channel. They've got, you know, 10,000 subs and I'll look at their videos and I'm like, mm, something doesn't add up here. 10,000 subs and only 200 views per video. Mm, maybe they're not bought but I, I start to suspect something's funky. Now, it doesn't have to be that they bought subs. It can be a lot of things. It could be that they changed their, their main form of content. So like, let's say all of a sudden I turn this video, this YouTube channel, if I was like, it's gonna be James's vlog. Well, then you would see, like we would probably like lose thousands of subscribers within a day. But you would also see though that a lot of subscribers, they just haven't tuned in for a while, so they're not gonna unsubscribe. And then some, you know, maybe like, yeah, it's like, I'm not gonna unsubscribe yet. You know, I'll consider it. But you would see that our view count would be tiny. And you'd be like, wow, it's like there are 50,000 
subscribers, but they only have like 200 views per video. And so that could be one cause is that, you know, that's something we will never do. I've already told everybody here, we will never do that. We will always be a debate channel. This will never turn into like my personal channel. And so want to let you know that we will always have both sides represented and in the fairest way possible. But yeah, I do want to let you know, my dear friends, as you might be thinking like, huh, are there people out there that buy subs? I suspect so. Another way you can tell is that their comments might be really low. I personally, and maybe it's just because modern day debate, we get a lot of people who are fired up and they're pissed off because of the debate. So they, we get a ton of comments. Like our, our comment to view ratio is really good. Like I'm amazed that like a lot of times we will have like within 24 hours, a thousand comments on a video that has like 4,000 views, which that's really good. And I see other channels where sometimes they're like, they got 13,000 views and they got like, uh, like less than a hundred comments. That's a little weird. It doesn't mean that it's fake in that case. There are some people, it's just that they've got people who tune in and they just aren't, they don't feel compelled to, you know, comment or engage that much. So it's like, it's always kind of like a, you know, you have to weigh different factors and kind of look into it, but that's a way in which if it was something like they've got 10,000 views and they've got like 14 comments, I'm like that, there's something off there. And let's see, I'm trying to think of what else it might be, but yeah, it, it could be a huge content change. It could be, I've always wondered if people, if there's ever people who are like, try to buy comments for a channel and not realize that one, it can be pretty obvious. Like, like I said, I'm telling you, I really notice it, especially if they've got like 2000 subs and they've got like 30 views per video. I'm like, that mm -mm, doesn't make sense. Unless maybe it's like, here's another thing. You could have the same content. Maybe you have an old YouTube channel where you put out like, you know, debates and then you took two years off and you come back and you start putting debates on again. And you're like, yep, yep, we're still a debate channel. And, and it's like, well, uh, you killed yourself in the algorithm. Like YouTube noticed you were inactive for two years. So they're probably not going to recommend your new videos for a while. That's the rumor is how YouTube works allegedly. The other thing though is a lot of your people who subscribed two years ago, they may not even be regular users on YouTube. So that might be a reason, you know, a reason. So I, I see sometimes channels that are like super old. They've got a hundred thousand views or uh, subscribers, but they have like really tiny amounts of views. And it's like, eh, yeah, it's probably just because they're really old that a lot of their subscribers, uh, some of them just don't hang out on YouTube anymore. It, it could be, um, Maybe they are on YouTube, but they don't, uh, YouTube doesn't recommend that particular channel's videos to them anymore because they just stopped watching them, but they're still subscribed without notifications. But anyway, I don't know if that was boring, but I, I always think it's interesting to try to figure out the inner workings of YouTube and stuff like that. Sunday Worship says, wore my modern day debate shirt to the doctor today and ended up, and ended up in a 20 minute discussion about the ethics of veganism and my own cognitive dissonance about it. Oh, that's super interesting. That's funny. That's so cool. You got the modern day debate t-shirt that you're sporting. That's rad, man. And I am pumped. We are working on, we are slow. We're behind on it, but we're working on coming out with modern day debate shirts for the new logo. Cause we haven't done that yet. It's been really busy. That, I've got to put that on my list of things to do, but 128 likes. We only need two more and we'll be at 130. We are, we totally blew past the 120 goal, but thanks James 119 says huge so happy you guys are doing this james thanks for that that means a lot and muhammad 316 we are glad you are here we hope you're doing well as well as let's see here and hack says i was joking well i wasn't i'm telling you i think a lot of channels actually do buy subs and maybe even views that's another thing too is if you see that they have a lot of views 
and very few comments, that's where I start to get suspicious. And it's because people think that it's like a social like credit thing, you know, like they think of it as like, well, if I have a lot of subscribers, people will like take my channel more. They'll, they'll notice that it's desired, that my content is desired and they're more, li more likely to subscribe. And that's probably true, but I, I still wouldn't buy subs. I've never bought subs. I've never bought views. I'll be honest. I've, I've been tempted or I was like, eh, it's like, it's true. It's like, well, you know, if, if it looks like you have a lot of subscribers, like, you know, it doesn't hurt. You know, maybe people are more compelled to subscribe if they see that you've got a lot of subscribers already, but I never did it. And I'm glad I haven't. No offense to anybody out there who's done it. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but thanks to your kind words. Hannah Anderson says, says, have a great rest of your night, James, and all the people who came to comment and view the debate and awkward. Thank you for that, Hannah Anderson. And Awkward Saint Senior, thanks for coming by. Hope you're doing well. Adam Elbilia says, Ayo, what's good, my man? Adam, thanks for coming by. We're glad you made it. Is It must be late there in Israel. Thanks for being a huge late-nighter and, and stopping in. Potato says, James's vlog? Sounds like my kind of channel. You don't want to know about the sick and weird things I talk about. But Three Fractures, glad you are with us. And let's see here. Brooke Chavez says, thanks for your support and hacks. Indeed, thank you and hacks. And... Colin Rattig. Am I saying it right, Colin? Let me know. We're glad you're here, Colin. Thanks for coming by. And then Adam Elbilia says, it also depended on how many vid vids uploaded a day. I think notifications are limited. Also, older subs don't have the notification bell turned on by default. Oh, that's a good point. That's a great point. That is so interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That, that probably could be. Like, I would think that you're right, that YouTube would... When they make it, they would, when they brought in the notification bell, they didn't, they probably just like let people decide. And it was probably the default, I think for them was probably like set so that YouTube only recommends what they think you'll like. So they won't recommend all the videos. That's for sure. And it might not even be that. Like maybe it was just, maybe it was set so that when they did implement the notification bell, maybe the default was actually just no notifications because that's the way it was before the bell. So I, I don't know. It's a good point. Touche. And then let's see here. Gimme Waffles. Good to see you again. Says, did the debate happen already? It did indeed. And it was a juicy one to say the least. But yeah, I want to say thanks so much to our guests. It was a fun one. And I got to tell you, you guys, maybe you didn't know this. You're like, James, what are you talking about? Modern day debate has a podcast. Are you serious? My dear friends, let me show you this. We are absolutely pumped. You don't want to miss this. Modern Day Debate has a podcast. You've got to see this. If you haven't, pull out your phone right now, just like I've got my phone out right now. You see that bad boy? Is Pull out your phone. Find Modern Day Debate via your favorite podcast. So, for example, I use Podcast Addict. I'm hip. I'm still with it. You can open up Podcast Addict or Spotify or Apple Music, whatever it is that you like, and you can find Modern Day Debate on there. It's amazing. So you guys, I am pumped about that. It is seriously legit. You don't want to miss out on the Modern Day Debate podcast. I've been told people have said, I use it while I'm listening or while I'm cleaning the house. I use it while I'm working out. I use it, Bob says he uses it while he goes down to the beach to get some sunshine. 
believe me, we are absolutely excited that people have actually found good use out of the podcast. So that's really cool. We are excited about that. But did you know in the chat, let me know, did you know that we have a podcast? Maybe you did. And you're like, oh yeah, duh, James. Adam LV says, it also depends on how many videos. Oh, you got that one. And then, but yeah, that's interesting. And so I do want to say, I love you guys. Thanks for all of your support. And James119 says, I got notifications on, so I try not to miss any debate. And that's true. I had forgotten, folks. Yeah. If you want notifications, remember that you got to tell YouTube how often you want those notifications. But I do want to say thanks, everybody. I hope you have a great rest of your night. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. And we'll see you next time in the old Twitch chat. I want to say thanks so much. Appreciate you hanging out with us there. Brooke Sparrow, thanks for taking the lead in the old Twitch. And... Holy Squirrel 777, good to see you. It says, I'm a squirrel. Indeed you are. And we are excited though. Let's Farm has done a fantastic job with the Discord as well, which is linked in the description. So I want to encourage you. If you haven't joined the Modern Day Debate Discord yet, I highly encourage you to do that as a lot of people have found that is a really fun community to be a part of. And so I want to encourage you we are glad you are here, no matter what walk of life you are from, and we are excited for the future. So stick around for more juicy debates. I love you guys. Thanks so much for hanging out. It's always fun. Have a great night, and keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. We'll see you next time. Amazing! Beta! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.